Today is Sunday, September 1st, 2019. On this day in 1981, 15-year-old Eric Witte shot his father in the head. The death was initially ruled an accident by Indiana police, but Eric's mother, Hilma Witte, was later revealed as the mastermind behind the murder. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we tell a timely story from true crime history, then analyze the impact of that day's events. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm diving into the intrigue of the witty murders. Yes, murders. September 1st was just the first. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Let's go back to the witty home in Indiana on September 1st, 1981. It was a cool Indiana morning, and the witty house was bustling. Hilma Witty was in the kitchen making scrambled eggs. Her sons, 15-year-old Eric and 11-year-old John, ran around the living room searching for their backpacks. The boys' hunt for their bags turned into a playful game of tag. They chased each other around the room, laughing, until they heard their father, Paul, walk in. He put a stop to their game with a rough backhand to each of their faces. Eric and John bit their lips to stop themselves from sobbing. They knew if they cried, Paul would only hit them again. It was his way of making them men. This time, the brothers managed to hold it in, and Paul lumbered into the kitchen without another word. Hilma hurriedly pulled out Paul's chair for him and set a plate of eggs down. Paul hardly glanced at his wife and scarfed down his breakfast. When she asked him how the food tasted, he grunted that it was fine, abruptly stood up, and left. Hilma heard his car rev up and speed off as he headed to his job at the fire station. He didn't say goodbye. When she was sure he had gone, Hilma picked up his plate and sniffed it. The eggs tasted fine? How could he not have noticed anything? She scrubbed the plate hard in the sink, taking out years of frustration on the stained porcelain. After she sent the kids off to school, Hilma opened the cabinet under the sink and examined the box of her secret ingredient for the thousandth time. Was it defective? It said rat poison right there. It had to be toxic. This time she'd added more than ever to his breakfast. Not only was he fine, he apparently couldn't even taste it. Hands shaking, Hilma went to the medicine cabinet and took some Valium to calm down. She'd crushed these up too and added the powder to her husband's food, but it had no effect either. The rest of the day, Hilma fixated on how much she hated Paul. He was a lumbering slob who ordered her around like a dog. He hit her and her precious young boys. 
Every night as she lay in bed listening to the sickening rumblings of his beer-swelled gut, she dreamed of walking out the door. But divorce was not an option. There was no way Paul could provide much child support, and Hilma refused to be cast out onto the street. She needed to ensure she could keep the house. As she passed the hours at home alone, cleaning and ruminating, she grew angrier and angrier. Paul did nothing for the family except cause them pain. She needed him gone, and if poison wouldn't do it, then something else would have to. But it should look like an accident, something that aroused sympathy rather than suspicion. Just then, her kids came home from school. 11-year-old John rushed into his mother's arms. After some coaxing, 15-year-old Eric gave her a peck on the cheek. As Hilma held John close and stroked his hair, she realized the solution to the Paul problem. Nobody would believe such sweet boys were capable of murder. If something happened to Paul at their hands, it would seem like pure chance. Hilma was confident she could provide them with the right encouragement. After all, who could resist their mother's tearful pleas for help? especially against such a rough, abusive father. Hilma knew she had to act fast. Paul would be home soon. She took her sons to the bathroom and locked the door behind them. She had something very important to tell them. But before she could get the words out, the tears started. Her sons rushed to comfort her. She had them in the palm of her hand. As Eric and John wiped Hilma's eyes, she explained that their father was planning to divorce her. She warned them that they would soon be homeless with nowhere to go and nothing to eat. They would be forced to beg for change out on the street. Little John was soon bawling along with his mother. What could they do? Hilma explained they only had one option. They had to get rid of their father before he could abandon them. If he died, they could keep living in the house. Best of all, it would be a new, happier home, one without that oaf stumbling through the halls and slapping them whenever the mood struck him. Eric and John, both weeping now, didn't understand what she meant at first. Hilma had to spell it out. She cried harder than the both of them and pulled them close. Between sobs, she told them the police would take her away if she tried to fight back against Paul. She was an adult, and they would lock her up if she did what needed to be done. But they would never imprison children. She looked toward 15-year-old Eric, if their father was gone, she mused, he would be the man of the house. As a man, it was his duty to protect the defenseless members of his family. Eric stepped back when he realized what she meant. He couldn't fight his dad. He was half the man's size. Hilma pulled the boy back to her breast. He wouldn't have to fight, she said. 
All he needed to do was grab his father's gun and fire a single shot. The police would believe it was an accident. She would make sure he didn't get punished. Eric backed away from his mother again and opened the bathroom door. He resented his father for his abuse, but he still loved him. There were happy memories, too. There was no way he could do what she was asking. Hilma's eyes grew dark. She got on her knees and begged her son to kill her husband while John wailed beside her. Her tone was serious and firm. She told Eric that if he didn't murder his father, he would instead be murdering his mother. She threatened to commit suicide if the deed wasn't done that night. As her sniffling children took in her ultimatum, Hilma stood up and straightened her dress. Her tears had suddenly evaporated. She grabbed her purse and keys and headed for the door. She announced she was leaving and wouldn't return as long as Paul remained alive. Little John begged for her not to go, but she only pointed him to his big brother. She told him to talk to the new man of the house if he wanted his mother to come back. Up next, Eric Witty is forced to choose between his mother and father. Now, back to the story. On September 1st, 1981, Hilma Witty told her sons the only way to save their family from life on the streets was for Eric to kill their father. Then she left the house. After their mother closed the door, Eric and John ran to their room and crawled into bed together. Eric tried to comfort his brother, but couldn't stop himself from crying either. After a while, they managed to pull themselves together. It would be all right. Mom was just upset. She would calm down and it would all work out. They didn't have much longer to recover before Paul came home. He immediately made them get out of bed. He didn't notice their red eyes or shaky voices, only asking where Hilma had gone. They told him they didn't know. When would she be back? The boys looked at each other briefly before Eric stammered that he had no idea. Did she leave a phone number? No, they didn't think so. Paul grunted angrily. That woman was going to be the death of him. He ordered his sons to do their homework and make a TV dinner if they got hungry. Then he cracked open a beer and laid down on the couch. He was asleep within an hour. The boys paced around the house nervously and watched through the window for their mother's car. They heard nothing for hours. Finally, the phone rang. It was Hilma. She wanted to know if Eric had done it yet. When he told her he couldn't, she became furious. She told him she wasn't coming home until her husband was dead. She again threatened to kill herself and hung up on her whimpering teenage son. Eric's head was swimming. He was afraid of losing his mother and afraid poor John would be left on the street, just like she said. 
he thought back to all the times his father had hit him. Then he heard Paul snoring in the other room. He knew it was now or never. Eric had to choose his father or his mother. He took a breath, steeled his mind, and grabbed his father's pistol from the bedroom. With his 11-year-old brother looking on, Eric brought the pistol into the living room, pointed it at his sleeping father's head, and shot him once between the eyes. When it was done, he fell to his knees and cried. When he finally got up and called the police, he knew his life was changed forever. Eric Witte's case made headlines at the time as a tragic accident. With his brother's corroboration, Eric claimed he tripped on the rug in the living room while bringing the gun to his father and it had accidentally gone off. Hilma and her two sons escaped prison time. To make ends meet, they accepted help from Paul's mother, Elaine Witte. Elaine was an elderly woman who treated them well. But as time went on, Hilma ran into conflict with her mother-in-law, too. She stole from the old woman's bank account for months, and Elaine finally noticed in 1984, three years after Paul's death. To avoid the consequences of her theft, Hilma once again manipulated her sons. This time, she ordered the now 16-year-old John to shoot his grandmother. John killed Elaine with a crossbow while she was sleeping on January 8, 1984. Then he dismembered her body with the help of his mother and brother. Eric, John, and Hilma were all found out and convicted of murder soon afterward. Eric was sentenced to five years in prison, John received 20, and Hilma received a 90-year sentence. The bizarre nature of the case and Hilma's twisted manipulations of her sons made national news. For some more insight on the case, I'm gonna go over some psychology here. Please note, I'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for this show. The media coverage sparked a public discussion about just how culpable Eric and John were for the murders. Though they were never formally diagnosed, it's likely that Eric and John Witte suffered from parental alienation syndrome prior to the murder of their father. Parental alienation syndrome most often occurs in acrimonious divorces. It's caused by one parent convincing a child to hate the other parent often by using a campaign of lies and stereotypes. Psychologists generally define parental alienation as child abuse. In severe cases, it can end the relationship between children and the parent who is targeted. The symptoms of the syndrome seem to line up with Eric and John's behavior. So when faced with that kind of abusive manipulation, can Eric and John be considered responsible for their actions? What makes a teenager culpable? And where's the line of self-defense? Though the sentences have been decided, the debate continues to this day.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Terrell Wells. I'm Vanessa Richardson.